Welcome to the Pete Primo Show. It is episode 157. We are here with Mark Banyan, and we're going to talk about his book, The Boy from the Cave. And as soon as I get done paying the bills, we will bring Mark on. If you're at market, make sure you pick up this book. Sell a million, 101 tips for furniture and mattress store owners to sell another million dollars or more this year. And I'd like to thank our sponsors at Mattress Industry Network Group. Got got something special going on um, today. But before we get to that, I want you to know that if you are in the mattress industry, we want you in this group. It's over 2,300 strong. It's a 100% free Facebook group. It's a great place to network. Learn how to build, market, sell, and succeed in the mattress industry from people who have already been there and done that. There's a lot of give and take in this group. If you are in the mattress industry, we want you in this group. So, you have to join us tonight. It's Monday. We're in Vegas. You need to go to the Circa. And that is where we are going to have a great networking event at Victory Burger. The burgers are great. Everybody, if you are in the furniture and mattress business, let's meet up there Monday, January 29th, today, 6 p.m. Meet us in a few hours at the Victory Burger. Great burgers, great company. And uh, Mark, I don't know if you have plans for a Monday night, but but join us. We'd love to have you. And uh, let's get the show started. Thank you very much. Mark, dude, I got to tell you something. You made me laugh. You made me cry. You made me root for you. You, you made me... Coach you, even though I'm 40 years too late, 50 years too late. <laughs> a lifetime. Um, I'm like, Mark, don't go that way. Go this way. You're going the wrong way. And you obviously figured it out, my friend. And uh, so you have been in the furniture business since what year? Well, first, thanks for having me. It's great to be here with you. So. Uh, I, as at, at the risk of dating myself, I actually started in the furniture industry in 1975 when I was in high school. So I've been in the furniture industry for a long time. So I am a mere rookie. I started in 1982. You're just a kid. Just, just, just uh, kid. just a wet behind the, the years kid. <laughs> I, so Mark. Let let's catch everybody up. You um, you've been in the furniture business your whole life, off and on. A lot of that time was spent in the liquidation business, and the liquidation business is actually where I cut my teeth. And I learned how to close sales. I learned how to create urgency. I learned that there's no such thing as a be back, even though <laughs> there can be if you really do your job well. Um. But when you sell for a beatback, you usually don't get them. Um, when you sell to close them now, even when it is a beatback situation, you get them because you, you went as far as you could go with it and you made an impression. But there's a lot going on 2024 right now. I mean, yeah. there is, you know, I don't even watch the news anymore. Uh, I have friends who love me and care about me. If something earth shattering comes down, they're going to tell me, Pete, you know, get home and go in your basement or whatever the action <laughs> get is. Get in the bunker. That needs to happen. <laughs> but I, I just can't poison my mind with everything that's going on. But I mean, there's inflation. Uh, there's, there, there, there's uh, war, the threat of more war. There's, all kinds of things going on that affect our industry. And, you know, you have been through a lot since 1975 in the furniture industry. What would your advice be if you're a business owner? Like, how do they survive what's going on in 2024 and come out the other end uh, winning? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. And, a, and it's something that, you know, honestly, I don't think that it 
it it's different than any other era. I remember this in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s. Uh, but first, just to take a little aside, when I first started, I had some great mentors. And and when I would talk about the BBAC, they he had a chair outside. This was in New Hampshire in the winter. And he would tell me, go sit in the BBAC chair outside and you can come in when they come back. <laughs> was that how? No, no, it was not Hal, which is a pseudonym for someone that that is very close to me. But uh, it was a it was a guy Bob at, at the very first furniture store I worked in New Hampshire, Epsom Circle Furniture, when I was in in high school. But anyway, um, you know what it really gets down to with this? It, it's I feel that that you, we have to connect with our authentic our authentic selves. We have to just. Be as a business person, an answer to your question, what do you do to face 2024? Well, the first thing is we live in a very noisy, noisy world. There's a lot of distractions. Uh, it's a, it's a complete whole new era with social media and everybody's trying to perform. We're comparing ourselves to other people, whether individually or as a business. And I think it gets down to the core of the business owner to say, okay, who am I? What do I stand for? And to be that person and just live to your authentic self, uh, be vulnerable. And I think that the world is very hungry for integrity. I think the world is very hungry for some virtues and so forth. And we've watched our industry over the years go from place, all, all kinds of recreations of our industry, some not so healthy and some very healthy. And I think we're coming to a point where people are really just looking for truth, quality, and consistency, and some sort of ethics and virtues in the way that we operate our business. And uh, so I, I just feel, just be yourself, be true, be real. Don't try to perform. Don't try to compare. Just you know, deliver what your customer's looking for. Solve their problems. Hear their issues. People want to be heard. They want to be seen. So if you see him and hear him and and respond, that's kind of a short answer, kind of a. That's not really a short answer, but that there's a lot of wisdom loaded in there. And I want to just unpack a little bit of it because you said it so quickly and it deserves um, a little bit more attention. You said be vulnerable, which is hard to do. Yes. You have to have a certain level of competence and confidence in your ability to be vulnerable at the right time. And if you are vulnerable with a, a customer, they will actually try to buy from you. So if you're a sales pro listening to me, if you're a store owner, stop putting on the masks. Stop being yeah. somebody yeah. else. Don't be a sales guy. They're tired of sales guys. They don't want to buy from a sales guy. They want to buy from somebody who cares about them, somebody who's focused on them, and somebody who can laugh at themselves, somebody who can be vulnerable. Because we want to buy from somebody like us. We want to buy from someone that we believe cares about us. And the greatest compliment you could get as a salesman is if somebody says you care. And yeah, I know that yeah. you're trying to say something. So you go right ahead, Mark. Well, no, I, you just were triggering some thoughts. It's, it's it, what we have to realize is, and I know we're going to talk about the book and all of this stuff. Oh, we it are. Took me, a, took me a lifetime to write this book. And it's a book that's a memoir. So it, it happens to be my story, but it's our collective story. And, and in life, and this goes right to business because this is all interwoven. We don't have a business life and then a personal life. We are who we are and we bring to our personal lives, our business philosophies. We bring to our business lives, our personal philosophies. And so everyone that has ever been born and everyone that will ever be born in life will face some sort of adversity. They'll face some sort of area of their life where they have questions and things like this. So when you're in a business and you're a salesperson on a furniture floor or you're a store owner or a store manager, when you can look at a customer and you can just be your true self, and, and when I say vulnerable and authentic, 
It's just like, you know, when you can just be that in your conversation with them, they're going to sense that they're going to see that you relate to them and you invite them into your story and you allow them to invite you into their story. And I think it's real important. I think there was, there was such a period of time in our industry and particularly in the late eighties and the early nineties, where to me, it got very Machiavellian. It got very, you know, you know, kill or, or be killed, you know, uh, uh, you know, that type of thing. And right now people are looking for truth. They're looking to solve some problems. They're looking to furnish their homes. And, and, you know, we just have to just get real and just be ourselves and tap into that thing that everybody has. Everybody has their fears, their joys, their aspirations and so forth. So just be real, just lighten up. And it's not a stage. It's not a performance. It's, it's just you being you. So. That's the best advice anybody could ever get with sales, especially sales today. Uh, there's some, there's some old noise out there, you know, and it's like, no, no, we should just be ourselves. And guess what? You're going to attract to you other people that are like you. And if you ever feel like you're performing, you're, you're doing it wrong. And so this begs the next question. I'm an owner. I'm a little bit fearful. I want to tap into your experience, Mark. What were the mistakes that you saw, most common mistakes, and reasons why you felt people were liquidating their stores? I think, uh, well, it's, it's, it's a really difficult question because over the course of so many years, I was involved in so many aspects of liquidation and, and there's a whole bunch of different reasons. You know, you saw giants like Levitt's go down and, and Rhodes and these major wicks and things like this. You saw, and we were involved in those circumstances. Um, and then there's a, but, but if we really get back to the mom and pop sort of store, a lot of it is I see a lot of issues with just getting set in our ways and not be, being so convinced uh, that the way we believe or the way we think, and I think this is a microcosm of the greater world, our politics today, our religions today and everything, that we're not open to receive or be attuned to what's actually going on. And so for most of it, it was people that that took this stance that, you know, my father did it this way, his granddad did it this way, I'm doing it this way, and this is the right way to do it, and this is how we price and this is how we tag, and this is how we advertise, and this is who we stand for, and things like that. So I think a lot of it was, and that's not bad, that's great, because you're sticking to these virtues and values, but we have to be, what I've learned is that we have to, in life and in business, live with contradiction, right? So contradiction exists in every aspect of our life, and and we try to, when a contradiction comes to us, we try to reconcile the con contradiction. And this could be with religion. This could be with politics. This would, could be with what our customers are looking for, what our salespeople on the floors like and don't like. You get in these different approaches, different ideas, and different things calling at us. And so we try to look at these contradictions and we try to say, hmm, let me take everything I know based on all the filters that I've been through in my business career what I was taught, what my mentors taught me. And I need to decide which of these things are true and correct. And I need to, you know, choose my stand and jump in a bucket. And you see it today with, you know, Republican, Democrat. You see it with different, all, all kinds of levels where we feel this need to choose a bucket and be all in or all out. And it creates this, this divisiveness in life. And so in business, a lot of these companies I saw going out of business because they, they felt that they had to choose uh, the approach that they were going to take. And when, as soon as they chose that this is the way, they were no longer attuned to or listening to an alternative. So I'm not saying that we can be everything to everybody, but I am saying that we need to sit back and realize that there can be two truths that coexist at the same time. And we need to be sensitive with our employees, 
with our customers, with our coworkers, with our vendors, with our families, our children. We need to be attuned to the fact that and open to hearing what people see. When we hear people and we see people, and then we can relate to them and they can relate to us and we can solve their problem or their need. So a lot of guys would decide, would just, and I see it with succession plans a lot too, that, that they, they, you know, they don't have, they can't release the reins and the company loses sort of focus or compass. So that's a lot of it. So I think what we need to do today is not, it's just be open to hear the different opinions, decide where it is, but it doesn't have to be black and white. We can actually, you know, sort of navigate in that field and, and respect different needs of different people on our on our sales floors and in our relationships if any of that makes sense i don't know you know it's a so inflexible mindset is the cause of many business failures i think so you know blinders so to speak this is the way we do it not being open to see a change because you've determined that it it you know it goes against your values or your your you know whatever your your compass and so you're not really even seeing it for what it is. So you don't, you resist a certain change or avenue. And then it's too late you know, by the time the, you know, the, the ship has sailed. I want to get into the book, but I, I just want to ask you this very, very specific question. Um, two of the most common mistakes that I see stores make to this day. And I, I, when I got into the business, I saw it. I, I saw it as being part of a liquidation uh, crew. I think I did three GLBs before I ever had a regular job in the in the <laughs> industry. We marked up prices. Uh, we marked them up to mark them down. Most of these stores that were going out of business ran at too low a margins. Uh, and they had a lot of the wrong merchandise. They had yeah. merchandise... The looks were from yesteryear and they did not have the looks that were really in today. Yeah. And it seems to me that, 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 that along with the fact that many of them did not, um, they didn't advertise consistently, Mark, when, I, one time I walked in with the guy that was running the GOB. God rest his soul. His name was Bill Bailey. And Bill said, I'd like to see your ads from the last six months. And I think they fumbled around and they found some ads from years ago. And he just held up the one ad they could produce. And he said, this is why you're going out of business. Yeah. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, you know, I'm brand new in the industry, right? Like I'm, I am completely wet behind the ears and I'm like, so you got to advertise to stay in business. <laughs> yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. You've got to, you've got to get your, you got to be out there. You got to be seen and heard. You can't change anybody's life if they don't know you exist or where you are or what you have to offer. But. There's a point in there well, also with being humble about it and being truthful about it. And that was a big way in the, you know, marking up prices and reducing prices. It was things that really, uh, it just, it becomes a system. This is the way we do it. So people just do it. And it really, uh, at the end of the day, it, and people selling for too low of a margin, you need, people need value. It's irrelevant what the margin is if the value is there, if you're giving someone a value. So a lot of it, you know, was, it happens in the buying, you're not buying right, not marketing right. If you don't do enough volume, you have to, you know, do a higher margin and so forth. So it's all, it's just a balancing act. It's a whole bunch of different things that make up running a business that you've just got to optimize all of these things. And that's, I know I'm doing this backwards, but I just want to ask you one quick question. Before we get into the book, because I have a lot of questions and we're not going to be able to get to all my questions. Um, you repeatedly tried to get out of the furniture business throughout your book and you couldn't do it. And recently you got back in despite your best efforts. So congratulations on on your uh, on your new position as the VP of sales for uh, 
Mobilo, uh, Mobilo, right? Mobilo, Mobello furniture. Mobello furniture. Yeah. You're out of Bosnia. Is that true? That is true. Yeah. I, and I did spend a life. I did spend a lifetime trying to get more out of the liquidation business than out of the furniture business. But I Got will it. say the furniture business is harder to get out of than the mafia. So for starters, and it just, so if you're in the furniture business and you're watching this, give up, you're in for life. That's the way it is. But no, all joking aside, uh, yes. So, so it, it was the liquidation end of the business, right? It was this thing that I, it, it just evolved that I got into. And I was very good at it, but I, it never felt, I always wanted to, you know, we want to create. I think we as human beings want to create and build. And this was something that is a very necessary segment of our, you know, industry. Every business has a season. Every person has a season. There are different stages. So clearly there is a time when people are retiring or a store faces financial crisis. And it's a very important part of life. And so, Liquidation uh, industry isn't necessarily a dirty word or a bad thing, but it's it you know it's the same thing as certain doctors that are working with you know terminal patients or whatever. It's not a bad thing. It's a great thing and it's a necessary thing. It's just something I didn't want to be part of. I wanted to be part of of uh, something that was building and growing and planting and creating, and I wanted to be dealing with a sort of a different season of life and career. And so I did spend a lifetime trying to get out of that business. And ultimately it was, you know, during COVID that I just quit. I packed up. I moved to Colorado from the East Coast and I love it here. This was three years ago, a little over three years ago. And I was minding my own, writing my book finally, going through that whole process and enjoying. I got certified as a business coach. I got certified as a life coach. I was doing consulting and hiking and which I still do and love in the foothills of Colorado and, you know, minding my own business. But then this crazy thing happened. I really, you know, said, I got to go to furniture market, you know, and I, I, because I do, I've gone every, you know, Every market for 35 years, I'm going to furniture market. So I went to furniture market just to hang out, just to see old friends, just to, you know, because the furniture business, it pulls you in. So as I'm walking around furniture market and I'm sitting in this courtyard, this young man sits next to me and he's looking kind of exhausted and a little confused, but, but he's got some sort of vibrancy to him and this thing to him. So I look over and I'm chatting with him and his name is Slobodan. And he happens to be from Bosnia and he happens to be affiliated with this incredible furniture. I didn't know at the time, but this incredible furniture manufacturer called Mobello. And the company dates back 130 years. Uh, I use the pun, their roots date back 130 years because, and they they started in the, the, the forest industry. So they own forests and control forests and they started in the wood panel business. So going back 130 years, they've been dealing with wood trees, wood panels, and that graduated into manufacturing furniture. And, and I looked at this and it's very high end. It's solid wood. It's all hand sanded. It's hand finished. It's very sustainable. There's no chemicals in the stains. We plant a tree for every piece of furniture that's purchased. But what I found speaking to this young man is this incredible story of life, of perseverance. So this young man, my CEO, my boss is, is he calls me, uh, I'm his mentor, but I call him my boss. And he said, no, 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 you're my mentor. And I'm his VP of sales. But this young man was born during the collapse of Yugoslavia in the early nineties when we had the Bosnia Herzegovina war and the collapse of Yugoslavia. And it was something where his dad was, was killed in the war and he was 16 months old and his 25 year old mother hit him in a barrel and he lived in nine refugee camps and he, you know, escaped and went on. And, and, and when I started talking with him and I started showing him through market and ended up just being friends with him and that turned into coaching him and that turned into mentoring. And then it turned into, he's like, you, you know, you got to come on board as our VP of sales. So it, it was, a, but the, the story of perseverance, of overcoming, and I mean, it's my personal story. It's all of our personal stories. We have these adversities, these challenges in life, and we want to overcome and persevere. And, and I found out, which I was surprised that 
Yugoslavia, before its collapse, was responsible for one out of every five chairs that were built in the, in the globally. And it's a country of very high virtues, very high ethics. And it kind of reminds me of the United States and a, a little microcosm of the United States post World War II when, when we came back and rebuilt and so forth. And Bosnia as a country, that area, Serbia, Bosnia, Croatia, Herzegovina is coming into their own. They're, they're sort of just now fully recovering from, in my, from my perspective. And I'm not an expert on this history of it, but they're recovering from that civil war and that strife. But, but, these, like this Mobello and most of the manufacturers, in fact, I haven't seen a manufacturer out of Bosnia and there's many. Their, their master craftsmen are important to them. Quality is important to them. Value is important to them. Ethics are important to them. This is a nation that has overcome tremendous adversity and they have tremendous pride and they're saying, Hey, wait a minute. It's time for us to hold our chins high. And they're not really distributed big into the U.S. And they wanted to come in the U.S. market. And I said, wow, this is what our industry is looking for today, right? We've, we've become over the past years, this industry of the, the race to the bottom, the lowest price. And, you know, you know, virtues of master craftsmen in the furniture that we've been importing from other countries, you know, like I don't, I don't see a whole lot of virtues there. I don't necessarily see quality. Do we see price? Yeah. And what did it do to our industry in general? So when I looked at Bosnia, I said, man, this is like, this is a God thing to me to have met this young man and to see this company that has the story of life and the people. His story is my story. It's your story. It's our story. It's our collective story. And I was just so attracted to this. And I got to tell you something. This to me is the pinnacle of my entire career in the furniture business. I have no, I wake up, I literally get up at four o'clock every morning and my feet can't hit the ground quick enough to get out there and start advancing. We're just coming into the U.S. and it's high end. It's luxury furniture. We're doing hospitality. We're do we're putting galleries in uh, several high end furniture stores across the country. I will not mention names today because a lot of it is in the, in the works and we're actually expanding the umbrella and seeing other manufacturers in Bosnia that are going to join us in our U.S. efforts. And we have warehousing already in the U.S. We're stocking the goods. People don't have to stock it. This company and the, and the people behind the company are investing a tremendous amount to bring this, we call it serenity of home, purity of heart, virtues of master craftsmen, and the pride of Bosnia to bring this into the United States furniture industry. And when you look at a lot of manufacturers out there today, you know, you ask us, can you use virtues, pride, you know, quality and things like this? Now it's not for every, it's not, you know, it's obviously an upper end sort of better quality goods, but we also have some really, you know, incredible lower price value and so forth in the various collections. So I, 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 and I don't had no intention of doing a sales pitch for Mobello. But it's, I'm just so passionate about it. And I love the people and I love this young man that I'm working with. And you know, that's the thing. When you can find people to work with that ignite you, that you share, that you find your tribe in life and you'll thrive, whatever you're doing. Well, Mark, you are a salesman and you couldn't help <laughs> it. I couldn't help but it. But I could feel it like in my heart, <laughs> the passion that you have for this. So I know it's going to be successful. Um, and you are at market. Uh, you, you guys do not have a space at market yet, but you are at market. And if somebody wants to reach out to you, how should they do that? Hey, call me on my cell phone. You know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, there it is. There it you is. Know, 8- 860-305-1788. Yeah. Call me on my cell phone, email me and, you know, or bump into me in the hall. We, we do, we are exhibiting. We have a big exhibit coming in April in High Point. We're not exhibiting in Vegas. We will be, but we're not in this Vegas because it's all just, you know, evolving and so forth. But yeah, just give me a ring on the cell phone. Happy to meet up. And I have various presentation materials. We have a whole bunch of merchandise already in the U.S. and so forth. So yeah, would love to meet up. 
so and some, share the story. It, so if somebody's assuming they have to buy this in containers, they're assuming wrong. They can buy it out oh, of the warehouse. Absolutely not. You buy, but sample your floor, whatever you want on your floor. We have this gallery program at some really reduced wholesale prices, standard wholesale prices. Uh, it's an incredible product. So you just sample it and we'll get it to you, you know, in a few days from our distribution center. Uh, and then you don't have to invest in a lot of stock. Um, and we're building that up now and it's growing. The assortment is growing as we, as we speak. That's awesome. So let's get into it, brother. Nah. You did. You made me laugh. You made me cry. You made me go through every emotion known to man. Um, and I couldn't put, put it down. I literally uh, was reading. I, I fell asleep with it twice. I woke up with my hand in the book and like I could not put this thing down. Um, did you really write this book? I did. It was, um, you know, it's been a lifetime in the making and it took me three years to write the book because it was a lot of, I had to go back and relive. There was a, it, the story is fascinating. It's, it's, it's true. Um, and it's, uh, it, it was a very traumatic sort of childhood thing, but it, it is a, it, it took me a lifetime to sort of process this and, 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 you know, I ran away at a very young age and went into the world and kind of put all that stuff that I wrote in this book in my rear view mirror. So I had to sort of go back and I had to relive it. And I had the, I have the benefit of having an older brother who has a photographic memory to a frightening degree. And I would call him up. I would remember things that I hadn't even remembered. And I, they would come to me when I started writing or started taking so the you're, time to you're, just. You're like saying, Michael, I want to make sure I'm remembering this right. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. this, this, this sounds even ridiculous to me when yeah. I'm writing it. You know, yeah. and like, did this really happen? I, and I, then I he never, would. I've never met your brother. I don't know him. I, I love, I love the dude. <laughs> yeah. He's I, amazing. I, he's a, I, I do too. But he would call it scary and it, it's actually painful for him because he remembers things like, you know, the color of a jacket someone was hearing, wearing or the rims of their hat. There's a word for it that I'm slipping. I put it in the book, but it's this thing where you actually can recall the minutest of detail. Yeah. And, and we lived a very sort of traumatic childhood. And I can't even imagine if I had to recall the details. So I would call him up and say, Michael, I remember this time we were in the woods and blah, blah. And this happened. And he would just go into vivid detail. He would tell me what I was wearing. And then all of a sudden I'm seeing it. And the next thing I know, I'm traumatized. So the first thing I did is I took a bunch of courses and I started with communication courses, ironically, before I started with writing courses. And like Alex Lyon, the communication coach is a great guy. He's got wrote a book and he's really good on communication. And I started thinking, how do I communicate a story to people? And, you know, with that authenticity. And so I started there and then I took dozens of, or, well, yeah, probably about a dozen different writing courses. And these were involved. These were, you know, groups. I went to different retreats. I studied, I read numerous books, and I went about the process of writing this story. And I wrote it from the lens of where I was at that age. So it was really difficult. I didn't, when I was talking about the nine-year-old Mark or the 15-year-old Mark or the 30-year-old me, I wasn't uh, looking at it from the perspective I am now and telling, oh yeah, back when I was then, I literally went to that age and looked through the lens of the, of, of where I was and used the words that I felt from that perspective without knowing what I know now. And so that book, I lead people through what it felt like right then and there in the moment through that lens. Now, would I see it through the same lens each, you know, the, the emotions of it? I'm not sure. But it was powerful. It was cathartic. It was healing. And in the process, I actually started for the first time in my life going to therapy and going, you know, like, like, you know, cause I never thought I just figured, you know, look, bad stuff happens. I had this dad that was rough and tough. He was, you know, pick yourself up by the bootstraps and, you know, get on with life and go on. And I did that for, you know, decades and it didn't serve me. It served, you know, you wake up at some point in life. When you have unmet trauma or unmet issues, you wake up at some point in life 
no matter what you achieve and you feel lost and empty and you ask that question that we all ask ourselves, why am I here? What is the point of my life? Why was I created? And all of us, I think, feel something calling us to there's this. We each have, I believe completely, I know in my heart that we each have very unique gifts and a very specific purpose that we were given in our very creation. So kind of the reason we were created in the first place. And I don't think that's profound and big and being kings and this and that. Maybe it is for some people, but it's really just saying, what is it that ignites me? What is pulling me? And so I spent a lifetime running from what I didn't want to happen to me as opposed to being gravitated to what I was created to be. And I share that process in a uh, a frighteningly vulnerable way. I mean, my wife and I had to look at ourselves when we pulled the trigger and actually allowed it to be published and say, do we really want this story out there? Like, this is personal. This is very, this is as revealing as it gets. And I figured, you know what? I'm mentoring these young guys and I'm seeing these 30 and 40 year old guys that are sitting there in the throes of life. They're balancing families and careers and children. They're checking off the boxes. They're looking at this overwhelming world with the cost of living, with the politics, with the divisiveness, with the, with, uh, you know, this loss of faith and, and confusions with religions and whatever it is that's facing them. And they're, and they're, they're, they're overwhelmed and the no- world is getting so noisy. And I mentor these young guys and they're like, I just, I wake up, I got this job, I'm checking the boxes, but I feel scared. I feel empty. I feel, and, and, you know, we, you, me, our generation, when you and I grew up, I I don't know about your dad, but I'm pretty sure it was probably the same thing. You know, I, you know, I got booted around, called a sissy, you know, be a man, pull yourself up by the brute straps. And, you know, like we, we weren't allowed to express our emotions. We weren't allowed to say we were scared. We weren't allowed to say we were confused. So, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I, I kind of had a mini version of what you went through. You, you left your house much earlier than I did. Um, I left my house, uh, in the spring of my senior year and my dad met me at the, uh, newspaper, my newspaper stop where I picked up my newspapers because I couldn't have one newspaper route. I had to have three. Uh, because you can make three times as much money. Yeah. And, uh, we had nothing. Uh, all I heard was lack, lack, lack. I found out that I really grew up in lower middle class, but I thought I was dirt poor because all yeah. I heard was no, 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 no. We don't have the money. And what I found out later in life is that my parents were extremely frugal. They were extremely responsible. And because of that, we had a better life than we probably should have considering the jobs that, you know, my dad had and, and my mom had at different times. Um, I want to ask you this question. Do you know that you're a poet? There's poetry in this book. Do, do you understand? Like, have you written poetry? Because if you haven't, you don't know this. You're a poet. Yeah, you you are. Yeah, no, I never, I never thought of it. That no, I have never written poetry. Read, ba- um, read back through this, and this yeah. was written by a poet. Yeah, it was written from my heart. It was like it was the weirdest thing. Uh, it, it, I would get up and I would go through these bouts of writing that were, uh, I, I was, it's almost like an out of body experience. So I really believe that that. There was a, a force much greater than I that was, that was driving some of this and, and, you know, the words flowed and things. And, and I decided to write it and it helped with the writing courses to just say, you know, like to show instead of telling. I read a lot of books where people tell you. And then I woke up and I was scared and stuff. And, and you know, and you, you used, I just described the environment and used a lot of dialogue that, that, that took place as best as I could recall the dialogue, right? And my memories from years ago. And so, yeah, it, but no, I've never heard the poetry thing or I've thought about it, but yeah, I love poetry is great. It's words. The power of words and creation is, is really good stuff. I mean, you, there are sentences in there that are 
just so incredibly beautiful that they were definitely written by a poet. So that's why I asked you, did thank, you write this you. or did you have a ghostwriter? Because No, no, I, I wrote every single word of it. Now, I did have an editor um, that helps a lot with structure developmental all, story. We all have, and, have editors, yeah. brother. <laughs> and, and trust me, the, the, the book is about 60,000 words. Um, yeah. And I probably wrote about 120,000 words. There are many stories and things and it, 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 they, that are cut out, you know, that were just taken out because it was just too long. You know, it, it, this is the appropriate length for a book of this nature, you know, that 200 and, you know, 70, 280, 230 page type of window that people are <clears throat> comfortable reading. And plus, it, it was difficult too because there were so many people in my life that were important that could have been mentioned in the book and weren't. There's very few people mentioned that my siblings, and certain mentors and key people. But, you know, the, you know, I had help from editors to say like, that's great, but you're, you're, you're losing sight of, you know, the message, right? Like that's an aside. You can, you know, obviously in this many decades, there's a million stories we could tell. So it's, it's a challenge, but it's a great thing. And I do believe that if not everybody, I think most everybody has a book in them. And it, and it's really a healing process to write those stories. And if, and I think it's also important. The world deserves, if this helps one person, one person to overcome some sort of adversity and so forth, because there were places of deep hopelessness. And, and I looked at this, my story, my whole life. And then when I talked earlier about contradictions, I looked at it as the worst thing that ever happened to me. And now I realize that it was the best thing that ever happened to me. And if I had to relive it, I'd do it. And both of those are true. It is the worst and the best. That's a contradiction. They both coexist and live together. And, and that's, you know, an important message for us. Whatever we're going through, whatever adversity, whatever hardship and all that stuff. And it's not a bunch of anecdotal stuff that say, Oh, put a positive sticky note on your refrigerator and tough up. It's better. It's just, it's no, you can be with it. You can say, yeah, no, this really is hard. This really stinks. This really isn't right. But you know, what am I going to do with it now? What am I going to do with it? Cause it exists and it exists in its way. So, so I just, you know, if that message helps one or two people or a thousand people or a million people, whatever, great. That's why I wrote the book. So as I wrote my five-star online review last night, Ooh, I haven't seen it. <laughs> you won't for a few days. Okay. I um I don't know if you meant to do this, but you made me go back to the good and the bad of my life. And I dropped my knees more than once. Wow. And I just said, Thank you. Thank you, God. Because here I'm thinking, I had my life, it was so hard at certain places in it, and here you were guiding me every step of the way. Here this guy is, had it 10 times worse than me, and came out of this smelling like a rose just by a miracle. Several miracles, wow. many miracles. Did you understand that when you get to the end of the book, that it smacks of Acres of Diamonds? Acres of Diamonds is a story about a guy that sells his farm and he looks all over the world for Acres of Diamonds and comes to find out that the Acres of Diamonds were underneath the farm that he sold. Yeah. Wow. It's true. Well, first off, Pete, then, you know, like what you just said, I am completely humbled and choked up by those words. So if that, if my book and my story did that for you, then mission is accomplished. That's enough for me. It was worth everything that the struggle to go through to write it because it's difficult when you're writing a, a memoir because you're telling your story 
And I didn't want to tell my story. I wanted to tell our collective story, right? And you said I had it worse than you. No, I didn't. I, I really didn't. It's the same thing. We have to understand that those, because what we're talking about, the, 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 the happenstance, the specifics are the specifics, but the emotions are the same. You get to a place where you feel hopelessness. You get to a place where you feel fear. You get to the place where you feel confused and empty or lost or whatever. You get to the place where you have these exhilarating moments and these peak and these, you know, these valleys and these peaks that we get to. And we're all human and we all have those. And they're very traumatic because they touch us in a certain way. So the hope of my book is that I spent my whole life angry, scared, running. And, and, and people that know me that maybe will watch this in the furniture industry, there was a period of my life in the 80s with that bravado and that cockiness and that haughtiness and that, that you know, like putting on the show and wearing the best suit and the Rolex watches and the, the nicer car and whatever it was to prove, to prove that I was worthy, to prove that I wasn't the boy from the cave, to prove that I wasn't the poor kid that didn't have food to eat and, and things like that, or didn't have the best education in the world or whatever. So, so when I look at that and it served nothing, it goes nowhere. And so it kind of goes back to the very first things we said in this conversation when we we're talking about business people and what do you say to them? You know what? Be truthful, have integrity, have ethics, be vulnerable because there is no fear that you have or that I have that every single human being on this planet earth won't have, didn't have, or isn't having as we speak. And we've become such a world of social media to put on these images and these performances and these shows and this thing. And then I look at these kids today that are looking at these, these influencers and people on social media and trying to compare. And we're even by myself, you know, I look at my, I post something about my book and I'm like, Oh, how many people liked it? And I'm like, no, 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 I'm not doing that. I don't have guy. Oh, one, none, whatever. What you said is why I wrote the book. And so. You know, like it just, we got to get real in life. We got to get to a place in life where we're, where we see other people, where we hear other people, we're attuned to the pain because it's a story and it's a collective story. And we're all part of this story and we're connected to it. And I just think a little bit more grace in the world. And honestly, to me, I, I, as you read the book, you'll know that I struggled with faith for a long time. And quite frankly, we need to all sort of double down on faith. You know, there is a power greater than us. And I right. believe that power to be God and so forth. And so double down on your faith because we can't get through this life without faith, without hope and without love. And that's God, you know, and in my opinion. And, and I don't know. I don't mean to get luxury or preachy or whatever at all. The last thing I ever want to be is preachy. Cause I never responded to preaching, you know, like I just that I went the other direction. So I just want to share truths and well, it is our collective story. It's a come along story. You, you went around the world. You did a lot of things <laughs> and you came back home wife. and you came <laughs> back home and, yeah. and, and it was there all along calling yeah, you the field of diamonds pulling on yes. you, tugging at you, protecting you at times. Oh yeah. And, you finally got there. So that I am forever grateful for. And I am for, listen, um, I got to thank Andy Friedman for, you know, introducing us. Andy, thank you for introducing me and Mark because uh, this is my brother. Um, I, I'm, Andy I'm actually, knew that. I'm actually knew meeting, that. I'm meeting with Andy here in Vegas and he actually, I did a drawing for 20 free books. Andy, for people that were on my email list. Yeah. And Andy was one of the winners of the drawing. So I, I have a whole stack of these books. I, I just signed them all and, and, and I'm sending awesome. it out today. So yeah, I, I, he's a super guy. And, and yes, I'm for, I'm very grateful for him introducing us because he, you know, he, yeah, it's really nice it's to, funny to know how, you and to, it's funny yeah. how things are, things happen, but. This really should never just be a book. This 
according to Jack Canfield, who I respect immensely, author of many sales programs, author of many books, and just a fabulous person. He said it in his review, this should be a movie. It has to be a movie. This, this has to be a movie because, um, unfortunately, I don't know if we're going to reach enough people just with it as a book. Um, I think it has to be a movie. I I really, I really, really believe that. Um, and as I'm reading this, I'm going, you know, this is almost like fiction. And then I go, but I know Mark and there's no way. And then I said, there's too many uh, plot twists in this thing to be fiction. It's, it, it just is. You, you can't make some of it up. You couldn't make <laughs> the it best, up. The best fiction writer couldn't have made this up. No, they, they'd go, there's too many plot twists. Uh, you, can't, uh, you can't change and you can't change jobs and you can't change your perspective and you can't change. Uh, what you're chasing and what you're running for. You can't do all this stuff. It's, uh, you know, this is too much action. Um, and so that's going to be the challenge of taking this. It's going to be a challenge to make this into a movie, but it, it has to be. It oh, really does. You. Because wow. Mark, it, it, it is our collective story. It, it is. Um, you know, I didn't have it nearly as bad as you but had you talked to a younger Pete primo oh he would tell you just how bad he had it how i walked to school three miles uphill both ways with no uh shoes on his feet in the snow in the snow and when i got done with this i literally said thank you lord i will never ever complain about anything again and by the way Thank you for all the blessings and all the mentors. I mean, I have been so richly blessed with so many great mentors. And I didn't even see it, Mark, until the last 10 or 15 years. Right. I, didn't I see, never did. I, yeah. I couldn't see that I had a how. And yeah. I, somebody that always believed in me. Yeah. Somebody that would take me back no matter what stupidity I engaged in. And, you know, but I really do believe it needs to be a movie and you more than accomplished your goal. I think that what you're going to find is this is going going to explode. And I think it's going to explode very quickly. Um, because... It fundamentally pulls at something that is beyond our, our, our brain. It's beyond even our heart. It literally tugs on your soul. And it, we're all wrestling with the same questions as human yeah. beings. Yeah. And as a furniture geek and nerd, you know, it was interesting to see, you know, I, I was familiar with the liquidation business to some degree. And, and listen, I've sadly profited from many uh, out of business sale in numerous ways. And uh, there is a contradiction there. And uh, nobody's ever happy to see uh, good people go out of business. It's, it's, never, it's never good. And it is got to be so exciting for you, Mark, on this new part of your journey where you're building something that's really special with with people that have the same values and the same integrity uh as you do it's got to be so exciting it is it is and and i do have to also give tremendous gratitude to those mentors and to that industry you know because when someone gets to a season in life where it's time to close their business they deserve to be, you know, handled by a professional in a professional way. And so, you know, a lot of the issues that I sort of maybe uh, imply, if not outright say in the book, uh, with the liquidation part of it, 
it isn't an affront to that industry or anyone in that industry. I have great respect for my mentors and my colleagues that I worked with over the years. And I can tell you there are a lot of testimonies, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of testimonies of furniture store owners that went through the process and have nothing but gratitude and praise to the liquidation process. So I just want to be clear that my intent is not, you know, to, to villainize in any way that industry, because it is necessary, just like it's necessary to have doctors that, you know, do certain procedures for people that are terminal, you know, or that are in a phase of life or going to the final chapter or what have you. So with that said, however, for me, for what I needed to overcome my own sort of path and that thing within me, my specific calling, my specific person, that thing that drew, drew me was like, why am I so unhappy in this? Why am I so unhappy in that? And, and where am I going to find this thing that actually ignites me? And it's two parts to that. The first part is because I had undealt with trauma, unmet things that I had just tucked away in a little box and tried to keep the lid sealed. And until you turn around and face those things in life that are giving you these reactions and these, these habits that you guide, until you face them, you're never going to be able to get beyond it. So part of it was that, was just facing it. And had I faced it 30 years ago, maybe I would have been quite content doing exactly what I was doing, right? Because it isn't about what we're doing. It's who we're being when we're doing whatever it is that we are doing. And and because it doesn't, the doing this is just doing this. You know, in the end, nobody gets out alive, right? So what is this journey we're on? It's just doing this. And none of our doing this, none of our positions, none of our possessions, none of our titles, none of our little cars or boats or houses or whatever are going to be remembered a month after we're gone. What is going to be remembered, the legacy that we have is how we helped someone else in life, how we touched someone else's life, who we were not what we did or what we had. Okay. So, so to me, to get to this stage of the career and have this opportunity to see this young man that has just got something. There's this spirit to my, my dear friend Slobodan. And by the way, the team back in Bosnia, I mean, just incredible people. And, and, you know, to see this and to be able to be at this stage and to have where I don't have to prove anything. I don't have to create my, you know, I'm not just getting married and trying to buy the houses and the careers and get my kids, my kids done. My kids are through college. They have their own families. They're grown up. We are what we are. Whatever I did, I did. Whatever I didn't do, I didn't do. At this point in my life, it's like, how do I want the last chapters, the last season of my life to end? And I want it to end. First off, I'm not ready to retire. I want, I don't, well, I don't think I'll ever be ready to retire. And I want to, and I love the furniture industry, all of it, and all of the people that I've met in the furniture industry, even at times when I didn't know that I loved it and them. And so now I get this chance, this just this God given, blessed, graceful chance to join this company at the early stages. What the headphone there? Sorry. And, and, and create this. It's just, it's just amazing to see this thing growing. It's beautiful. Love it. Anyone that's watching this, I want you to run to your favorite bookstore and buy this book right now. If you don't, don't ever watch <laughs> my show again. You are banished. You are, you are absolutely banished. I promise you. If you get this book, you will absolutely love it. I uh, I ordered mine Money. on Amazon. I had it a few days later. Um, I, I got you, you assigned one coming too. I know it's in the outgoing mail tag. I have that whole stack. Yours and Andy's. Why, why <laughs> mail it? Why mail it? Just yeah, yeah. But anyway, um, any last words that you would like to say? Because we do have to wrap this up. And hopefully I'll see you at Victory Burger tonight. I will be there. Um, I would love to be there. Thank you. Uh, now, you know, honestly, all I want to say is thank you. 
I want to say thank you to you for what you do because you watching your show and seeing the authenticity that you've always displayed and the people and your passion for it. I want to thank you for the amazing, uh, kind words. And, and I just, I, I'm literally speechless and humbled by what you've said about my book. This is, uh, the first, um, feedback or any kind of podcast feedback sort of thing that I've had. And I'm really taken back. So with, with immense humility and gratitude, just thank you for having me here. And to everybody out there, you know, just, just, you know, hope, faith, and love. You know, that's, that's what all we need. We need some hope, faith, and love. And that equates to if we want to overcome something, we need, you know, that faith to know that, that we can endure it. And the, the resilience part is the part where we can bend back. No matter how far we're bent, we don't break. We can actually come back and it's not ever the same as what we were, but there's a resilience. So my whole story is about overcoming. It's about perseverance and it's about resilience. And those three words are interwoven with hope, faith and love. So that's what I got to say. And thank you. Just thank you. Everybody go buy this book until I see you next time. Sell a million. Thank you, Mark. Thank you so much, Pete.